we welcome you back to Worldview Matters. This is Ross and Bob. I'm certainly glad to be back with you today. How you doing? It's always a blessing and a privilege to be with you too, my buddy. We have a lot going on in this great world of ours, so worldview does matter, and there are a lot of matters going along, going on in this world. One of the things that has been the forefront of, I guess, communication over the past few weeks is this situation with Chick-fil-A, and I know that there's there's been a lot in the press, there's been a lot of communication. And, and this is the one thing I think that we've seen recently that points up. I mean, there are a lot of things that do this, but the Chick-fil-A situation has really focused on this issue of diverse worldviews, like nothing I've seen in recent times. What do you think about that? I think you're exactly right. I mean, I, I look at our culture today almost like this smorgasbord of different ideas, different vantage points different perspectives, and many of those are laced with strong, strong feelings about what people believe and how what other people believe really might irritate them and cause some stress. Well, you know, it really has caused the polarization, but I don't think polarization is bad. We continue to talk about unity. There needs to be unity in certain areas, but when you have worldviews that are so diverse— an understanding of what the polar ends of this world, these worldview matters are, I think, is very important because it leads us to, to a, a real clear understanding of what our position is. So polarization is not the worst thing in the world. I, I think you're exactly right. In fact, uh, many times disagreement, and that's really what certainly polarization is the, is the extreme of that, but disagreement can be a very good thing because it forces people to stop and say, why do I think the way I think? Why do I feel the way that I feel? And Ross, you said something a moment ago that I think is worth repeating, that many of the things that we see going on in the cultural uh, marketplace, I'll even call it the cultural wars, certainly battles that we're fighting today, many of those have the seeds of the division that, if not a couple of a hundred years or more, ideas that started from worldviews. You know, I think it's worth going back and repeating what you just said, Bob, uh, just to make clear again what you said, if you don't mind to go back over that. I don't mind one bit. I think that all of the ideologies, all of the thinking, all actually political agendas, personal agendas, even preferences, even, even down to the kind of TV shows that we watch, all of those things in some way are fueled by what we think and believe about the world around us. And our worldviews don't develop in a vacuum. They, we're all products, I, I guess I should say byproducts, of this media wash, these ideas going on around us, and we pick these things up as we go through the world. You know, you talked about the battle and war. We've got... From a big picture standpoint, if you want to look at it strategically, there is a war going on in this world. And from the beginning of time, that war is taking place. We fight battles daily, weekly, monthly. If you want to go back to the Chick-fil-A situation, that's simply a battle. Chick-fil-A is simply a byproduct of what's happening. It's it's not a Chick-fil-A issue. And the amount of business that they have done because of this difference of opinion on world, you know, about 
homosexual marriage. It's, it is a, just an indication of the bigger problem. So that's the battle in this bigger war. I think you're exactly right. When the Chick-fil-A president, Ben Cathy, made some remarks, and I, I think he saw them as being fairly harmless and reflective of the values that have been held for Chick-fil-A for over six decades. But when he made those remarks, I don't think he realized, or at least he may not have realized, but the kind of firestorm it was going to generate, but it certainly did generate a firestorm. But as like you said a moment ago, this is not a new battle. These things have been going on for a long, long time. Mr. Well, Kathy, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Anytime you have a worldview, especially the strong position, there's a cost to having that worldview. And we must recognize that, that none of this is, uh, uh, if, if polarization does take place, it's going to cost us something to establish a position and hold that position. And I would say that Dan Cathy, to his credit, uh, regardless of how anyone feels about the position that he's taken, the fact that he has that position, there needs to be tolerance of that position, just like there's tolerance. They're asking for tolerance of opposing position. And I think you, we can be tolerant of people's ability to hold a position. We don't necessarily have to agree with the position that they hold. And that's regardless of which side of this battle we're on. I think you're making a great point that we all would hope that in a civil society, and we hope we live in one, we still, I think, do live in one, we would hope that people can disagree about things and continue some kind of a dialogue and a conversation about that those things so that views can be expressed and debated. The thing that concerns me is that it seems like recently, Ross, the, the emotions about ideas and ratcheted up a few notches. So people are now not able to talk about some of these things in a detached way because lifestyle and values and feelings are all enmeshed there with those things. Well, I think it's easy to get into a diatribe as opposed to a conversation. And right. I'm confident that I fall prey to that, that many times myself. I do hold some fairly strong positions on most issues. I try to think them through and hold those positions, but hopefully I can converse. Sometimes it's been said that I don't converse all that well, that I do wax into a diatribe. But anyhow, that's that's the situation when you do hold strong uh, strong opinions. But, you know, listen, if we go back to some of the things that we've said in earlier shows, we're trying to determine uh, how do you establish a worldview? What what does worldview mean to us? How important is worldview in the way that we act? It's a chicken and egg. Do, do we act because the worldview is our worldview because of what we think and act? And these things are coming together. But as we've talked many times before, I think everybody is trying to figure out at some point in time. The covers go over your head at night and, and the, it's dark. I think you ask yourself often, where did I come from? Where am I going? What's the meaning of life? And why am I here? What are the rules I should live my life by? Does it make any difference? These things help establish what our worldview is. It's the lens I've heard you say many times before. Worldview is the lens through which you see everything that is before you, and it makes you act in a certain way because of the way you see things. You're exactly right. And for those listeners, maybe who've just joined us, you know, our worldview 
and we all have one, actually is that lens, that perspective in which we view the world around us. And what's important about this is it, it defines what we think is real. It defines what we think is important, which leads to our feelings and our choices. And in actuality, worldview is incredibly important. Well, it determines in great part uh, who we are. Uh, oh, that's exactly right. I'll give you an example from just everyday life. You know, if, if someone doesn't believe in the IRS, they probably won't file their taxes. But if then they'll remain complacent about that until the auditors arrive at their door. That just goes to show how worldview affects everyday living. And, yeah, and that's, uh, it goes back to the cost issue. There's That's a cost right. to a worldview, and what, what you do, there's a cost attached to that. I think the thing that I hope that, that our listeners will continue to appreciate as we talk about this subject is that the worldview that's present in, in the Western culture, and what I mean by Western culture is the, the societies that have developed from, from Europe on across into uh, American life, that that our culture, our society is really a, a mixing pot of several different worldviews. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about Christianity. We talk about uh, postmodernism. We talk about these new age spirituality. All of these are worldviews. Islam is a worldview. That's another uh, matter that's been a lot in the news in the last decade, obviously. You know, <laughs> You and I come from an era where, uh, let's say, Father Knows Best was a big TV show. I mean, that, at that point in time, there were not uh, seven TVs in every household. And Father Knows Best was considered to be a, uh, the way that many, many families were. Well, if, if you fast forward to today, you've got a totally different culture. And although it's hard to look at our way of life, and we've uh, we've lived what two hundred and our nation is two hundred and thirty years years old, and this is still an, an experiment, an experiment, American experiment, and there've been number numerous experiments in cultures in past generations, and all of them have come to a very ignominious end because of certain value systems that developed in those cultures. So. I guess the jury's still out on whether this experiment works, and I think you and I probably hold the view that unless we get some things straightened out in our culture relative to worldview, that we're probably in for the same kind of end that some of these other cultures have uh, come to. The Roman well, I think you're exactly right, and you mentioned the, Amer the American experiment. I, I think for our listeners, it would be helpful to point out that there really have been three great ages of thinking that have happened in the modern era since Christ came. And we, we date our calendars from Anno Domini in the year of our Lord. But for the first, you know, 16 or 17 centuries, uh, Christian theism largely dominated Western thought. But about the time that our republic, our democratic republic was being formed, there was a new kid on the worldview block. Uh, rationalism, the age of reason was just dawning. And, and uh, I, the, our founding fathers themselves, you had some theists, some deists, 
some naturalists. All, these are three different worldviews. All of these people were speaking and writing into the documents and the thinking of our, of our American experiment, as you say, Ross, at that time. And that has largely it colored the founding of our republic. But now our, our, our culture has moved to another season. It's really moved to almost a postmodern uh, era where the debate about, about how can we know things has gotten to the place where we're not sure if we can know anything or not. And you know, that is I'm sorry to interrupt. It may go may be interesting to go back, Bob, and just quickly define theism, deism, and naturalism, and then postmodernism because that's we're going to be talking about that probably in some way indirectly with every show we do. So maybe it's good to define those things for the listeners. Well, that's a great point. You know, we, we have talked about that every worldview, if it's going to be a real a legitimate worldview really has to answer certain questions about the world around us. The two basic philosophical questions are uh, what's the what's the purpose of, of the world and who, who am I? Those are the two great questions. But uh, a lot of worldview thinkers have defined it even more specifically than that. But in essence, for Christian theism, uh, prime reality or the, or the world around us is defined by a person. Uh, Christian theists believe that, that there's an infinite personal God and he's revealed himself in the Bible, the Holy Scriptures, that this God is triune. He's three persons, one God, but three persons. He's both transcendent and eminent. He's omniscient. Those are fancy biblical terms for he knows all things. He's sovereign, which means he's absolutely in control. And here's the real significant one. He's also good. And so that's sort of the, the foundation stone of Christian theism. Naturalism, which really started in the late 1700s uh, by a, a French philosopher called René Descartes, uh, naturalism really starts with the idea that matter, the stuff that makes up the world, that's really all that there is. And what that does basically is it says we can't know anything unless we can taste it, touch it, feel it, measure it. And that rules out the idea of an external God who can speak into the visible world that we're in. And then in between those two would be the deist who believes that God did create the world, but then he turned it loose. It'd be like uh, having a child and say, saying to that child, okay, uh, I've had you, now go, go do, do whatever you want to do. I'm not going to teach you anything. That's a great point. In fact, deism really is the worldview bridge between Christian theism and naturalism. And it's very important because the deist believed in God, but he just believed that God was not eminent. He was not involved in the world that we we all have to live in. And because of that, they view this world almost like a clockwork mechanism. It, it's got order to it. It's got systems in place, but God is not involved in those. And so ultimately, that leads to naturalism, which says, well, we don't need a God, basically, to have wound up the cosmos. The cosmos basically wound themselves up. They evolved, if you will, from matter. And that's where the big bang theory of science comes from and everything else. And the thing that's important about that, and I hope we're not boring our listeners at this point, 
The thing well, that's the ba- the basis of the things that we discuss, and I, I think it's important to come back to this from time to time, because an understanding of who God is, or is God, uh, is very important to this issue of worldview. So it's the core concept that we'll be talking about um, in some way in every show. And I think we need to realize that the modern culture that we live in has been has been significantly influenced by naturalism, a naturalism that's driven by an evolutionary model. Well, I've always wondered uh, how people can think that a explosion in a junkyard could create a computer, which to some degree is the way the naturalist has to think. But then you, if you go back to the very beginning, they say, where did the junkyard come from? And, and that's there's not an answer to that from a from a naturalistic standpoint. Now, where does secular humanism fit into this, Bob? Well, I think sec- secular humanism is one of the one of the flavors, if you will, of naturalism. Uh, there are others. If I if you want to be a, be philosophical, existentialism is a flavor of naturalism. Nihilism, or the fact that there's no hope is one of the flavors of naturalism. But here's the thing that I think is worth pointing out, is that when you, if all, if the world is a closed system, and the only thing that w- that is real is what we can see, then that means that man has absolutely no meaning. There's no purpose for man. Man is just a composite of, of uh, a carbon-based life form. We're just accidental it's chemical and and uh you know physical reactions that's all so to be able to say there's purpose and meaning to life and 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 beauty has meaning to it there's no intellectual basis for that at all you know it's interesting that some of the things we've seen recently the the killing in aurora colorado the the one where the man went into the Sikh temple and killed, I guess, seven people, uh, go all the way back to Columbine. To some degree, you could say that those people had come to the point where they had a nihilistic worldview. That's exactly right, Ross. They were basically saying, you know, what's the purpose here? I I have no purpose or don't know what my purpose is, so, you know, where, where do I go from here? And that's what naturalism, that's the natural outworking of naturalism as a worldview. Right. Once you close the system, suddenly you have to realize that man, as just a product of evolution, has no real meaning and life has no real meaning. And so it's, in a sense, it's logical to come to the place where you lose all hope of anything having any meaning at all. You know, we ho- I hope that we're, we have some people out there who are listening who are saying this really hits where I live because I'm questioning what is the purpose? What, what's out there in front of me? Is there anything bigger than this? Because life as I see it today doesn't have any meaning or the meaning seems to be bad. So explain to me, is there something better out there? Well, here's here's the truth. People cannot live without hope. They can't. We cannot live without hope. And when we lose hope, we enter into a stage of depression, which leads ultimately to suicidal thoughts and the taking of our own life and other people's lives. So we cannot live without it. Here's what's, here's what's ironic, if I can use that word, is that instead of turning back to a, a Christian theism, a, a worldview that says there is a good God, 
who has made us in our image. The naturalist can't do that because the system is closed. There's no place for God. So what the naturalist has to do is he has to borrow hope. He's got to find a place for hope that's within this closed system. And that's where some real funky kind of rationale gets started. That's where a lot of you talked about secular humanism earlier. That's where secular humanism, which is actually uh, the fancy philosophical term is existentialism. It basically says at some point in the past, man evolved as a being and realized that he has meaning in himself. There's no basis for that, but uh, people latched on to that because they had to have hope. Where do you think this, these recent situations, let's go back to Chick-fil-A. That's where we started this conversation, and we really haven't discussed in depth the issue of, uh, of marriage between a man and a woman uh, as opposed to between two, I mean, I'm sorry, a man and a woman or between two men or two women, um, which is what the Chick-fil-A people said what Dan Cathy said was uh, uh, against God's plan. Uh, how does this fit into what we're discussing here? Theism, deism, naturalism, uh, secular humanism, this whole experiment. Where, where do you place this, Bob, and, and how do you look at this? How does this worldview issue cause you to look at that, this conflict that's taken place in a different way? Well, it's right at the center of it. Because one of the questions that worldview, a worldview must answer is, what is right and wrong? Now, now Christian theism, uh, ref, you know, it calls, uh, it calls the Bible in, to attention and says God has revealed right and wrong as an extension of his own nature. On the other hand, naturalism basically says ethics or the, the position of right and wrong is related to to human beings and how they've developed and evolved, and most uh, naturalists say it's it's we're just products of our environment and our societies and the ethics of those societies are all culturally ordained and culturally defined, and so that allows not just uh, some people but a, a, a large portion of our population to say there is no way to determine right and wrong. And so, so if I have, if I want to believe that marriage is between, you know, me and a chicken, I, I can do that. If I want, but if I, on the other hand, people can say, if I want to believe that marriage is between a man and a woman only, uh, they sought the source of being the Holy Scriptures. You know, you hear people say, this is 2012. You know, get a life, folks. This is not uh, 1942. This is 2012. Things have changed. So the question is, have things changed? Should they change? But is, or is there a core place that we have to go back to or should go back to? Uh, th th but that's part of this, this, part of this battle and part of this experiment. And people are, I think, making up rules as they go, we go, so to speak. And it's, it is insidious the way worldview changes little by little. It's an amalgamation Basically, I guess to the to the the greater um, the greater number of people, or we amalgamate to what we see and do, and we sit in front of the one-eyed 
with the one-eyed bandit there, I guess you could say, many hours of the day, and I fall prey to that too, being a news junkie and a what have you. And that changes our worldview or has a tendency to alter our worldview. And we become secular humanists to some degree, hopefully not, but it, it puts us in this postmodern way of thinking. I think you're exactly right. And you said something um, about that, that it, it did not happen overnight. Right. It, it doesn't happen overnight in our individual lives and it has not happened overnight in our culture, in our society, in Western society as a whole. These are ideas that were planted, some of them, 300 years ago. But they're just now bearing fruit. And the fruit of rationalism, naturalism, relativism, I can use all those terms almost interchangeably. The fruit of that is you get to a place where you really can't determine right and wrong. There's no basis for determining right and wrong. And so when Christians speak in, who do have a basis for determining right and wrong, when Christians speak into a relativistic culture and say, this is right and wrong, a lot of folks are offended by that. They're, they take offense to that because they say, what right do you have to tell me what's right and wrong because everything is relative? You see where we've come to, Ross? Yeah, and you, you kind of see the way, how we got here. You see the rails that we ran on. Let's, let's look at TV. Let's go back to the 50s. There was a father's no, father knows best generation. Uh, then we came to a point where it was Welcome Back Cotter, for example. We used Welcome Back Cotter in our, our own family. We would watch that with our kids. And then we would say, what value system did you see when you watched Welcome Back Cotter? And it's interesting. They were able to pick up this, this lack of respect for authority. And it was very, very sinister, but very simple and very low-key. Now you come to another segment a few years later that may be typified by the sitcom Soap. Now today you're looking at, you name it, there, there are hundreds of them, but let's look at The Bachelor and The Bachelorette and The Bachelor Pad. This is where we've come to, from Father Knows Best to Bachelor Pad. Now that, that didn't happen overnight. It happened over a period of 50 to 60 years, maybe two generations, two and a half generations, but what we've done is develop a postmodern way of thinking, a naturalistic way of thinking, a secular humanistic way of thinking, and it's come in an insidious, slow-moving way. And television is a good example of that. You're exactly right. And I think you, your, your point is basically art imitating life and then life imitating art. Uh, the, the popular media has in some ways just popularized this current worldview, but as it's popularized it, it's also made it more popular. And, and against that, and I'm feeling some of the angst myself, we who, those of us who grew up uh, post-World War II, the baby boomers, remember the good old days, if you will, and we see the, the erosion of our culture, and we're filled with fear, we're filled with angst, and it's, it's, it's very human to uh, to become emotional about that and just say we got to go back to the way things were. I think we've got to realize something that it's a lot more complex than saying we've got to go back to the way things were and helping things go back to the way things were. 
I, I agree. There's uh, You don't want to go back to the time when there was no polio vaccine or no penicillin. Right. Or, uh, you know, cars, you had a flat tire every time you would go 50 miles in a, in a car. Those are, that's not the way you, where you want to go back. But the, the worldview, if there is truth in a worldview, and uh, you and I believe that, we want the listeners to think with us. We're trying to to think ourselves and talk about how we think and hopefully get those who join with us to think also. Share with us your thoughts. We're more than happy to engage in discussions with people who have different worldviews. And we've got a lot of things ahead of us. We There's a lot of things we could talk about here. I see by the old clock on the wall, as Tennessee Ernie Ford would say, that our time is running out for this particular show. But let me let me summarize a couple of things, if I could, Bob. If we could get people just to thinking about theism, deism, and naturalism, God created theism, God created this world and earth and is involved on a continual basis in the way it works. Deism, God created this world and left it alone. Naturalism, only matter matters, so to speak. And right. So then the question becomes, where did matter come from? And then postmodernism, which means that we've moved into a new way of thinking, which uh, says, is there truth? Um, we don't think there's truth. If there is truth, how do you get to it? So let's just don't even think about it. So that's the postmodern world that we're dealing with. If people could simply look at that, think about that, come back and join with us again. We're going to continue to talk about these issues as they relate to how we live every day. So we'll talk about truth. We'll talk about these other points. Go back and listen to some of the earlier shows where we talked about the eight points of worldview. And um, then come back and listen with us. Challenge us. We'd love to have you come back. Bob, always great to be with you. It's we'll, always great to have a conversation with you too, Ross. We'll uh, see you folks next time. Thanks. Thanks.